I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Before we, before we say anything else, we have to celebrate 45,000 subscribers on the Behind the Glass YouTube channel. Unbelievable. Well, it is unbelievable, but it's 5,000 short of the target we set ourselves for 2021. 50K by the end of the year. Oh, mate, don't leave a lot of time. No, time is running out. So we are setting you all, all of you viewers and listeners, a mission. Get us to 50K. And we haven't quite decided yet. We're going to do something mental. This is a plead. We're going to, a plead. <laughs> Please! By January 2022, Tony and I, I don't know, we'll, we'll buy a car. Or we'll, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Tony will buy you a car. Oh, we'll no. give something away. I don't know. We're, we're just going to do something. We'll, we'll get brainstorming that yeah. if you get us to 50K. You don't worry about you that. You don't worry. We promise you it will be beyond all of your expectations. <gasps> we will buy the cheapest McLaren in Europe and run it for 2022, detailing our experience. Done. Deal. Sorted. Tony's what? paying. What? So no. yes, get us to... <laughs> please, please. Anyone that you know, whether you're listening here on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you think, oh, maybe I'll go and check out the YouTube channel, do it and subscribe. If you've been watching for a month or a year or however long and you haven't subscribed, subscribe now. Get us to 50K and we'll make it worth it your while. And press, press the little button, the little... Uh, Notifications, the, the bell. Notification so you don't miss future well. episodes. Yes, That's please. Nice, isn't it? Yeah. Now, truth be told, we did actually, we've just recorded this at the end of the main episode, so it's going to jump now because let's carry on with the main episode. Hello one and all, and welcome to Behind the Glass. I'm your host, Sam, from the YouTube channel Seen Through Glass. And I'm Tony from Gravelwood Car Sales. Yes, you are. Uh, each week we get together, we talk about cars, motorsport, F1, car, what else? Cars? Cars. We talk cars, cars, cars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can watch us on youtube.com forward slash Behind the Glass. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. And Tony, if people want to support this podcast, what should they do? Watch it. No. <laughs> But also head to Patreon. You can support us on patreon.com forward slash behind the glass. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. This is going to be a bit different this week. (laughs) We should have swapped places. We should have swapped seats. Yeah, maybe we should have. So, uh, yeah, if you didn't listen to our previous episode, actually, I feel like we've been teasing this for a while. Today is going to be a sort of a YouTube special, a YouTube deep dive. Mm. Um, Tony came up with the idea to kind of basically throw a load of questions at me i mean most weeks i'm throwing questions towards you yeah asking you about the car industry and car dealerships and the serve yeah the the behind the scenes of well running a car dealership and you thought well let me ask you all those questions about youtube and yeah i agreed <laughs> well you should yeah no i'm nervous <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what i'm gonna ask you before we launch into it how are you 
Very good. Very good. Very good. Right? Uh, lovely. Lovely. Did you have a nice weekend? Well, oh, yeah. Nerve wracking one. I was flapping. Yeah. About, <laughs> about nine o'clock last night. Obviously, by now you would have seen the uh, after the checkered flag episode reviewing the um, the well exhilarating US Grand Prix. Tony and I were on live WhatsApp chat <laughs> during the entire race. Like, what's going to ah! happen? <laughs> so yeah, we're both on a sort of come down from, yeah. from from that moment. But uh, otherwise, you've turned up in Advantage today. That's new stock. Just come in. Yeah. I mean, that's so, interesting for you, isn't uh, it? Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And and all I've had DMs all weekend. Oh my god, you're in Advantage. And guys, just to set the record straight. I do sometimes have stuff in stock that I don't like personally, but it's my business and I make money. So, uh, you know, I, I buy with my head, not with my heart. Yeah. So personal views and business views. Like, correct. You're always going to differ. You know, yeah. you, you can't like absolutely every single car. Otherwise you're a weird human being. Oh, of so, course. Yeah. But it'll be an interesting one trying to convince someone to buy that. I'd love it if someone comes and goes, oh, look, I'm weighing up. What else have you got that's similarly priced in at the moment, stock-wise? But I tell people the truth, mate. No, I know. Like, all the time, you know. If, if I get a car in and I don't like it and they ask me opinion, yeah. I'll say, it's not for me. These are the flaws. But that, you know, if someone likes something, pe- people love Aston Martin. Just in, And I was saying to you yesterday, I was messaging you yesterday and saying to you that, mate, I can't believe the attention I get from the general public in general, not not car people, just the general public of how well the car is received. The general public don't know the flaws. <laughs> they, they don't know the truth. <laughs> but there, there, there's, there's, there's lots of other manufacturers, and I think there's a podcast episode in this at some point. We do need to really talk about it. Just because something's flawed or not flawed, it's one, it's all a matter of an opinion. And the general public don't always go on whether it's any good or not. Yeah, we, we, I think the topic that we sort of were brainstorming last night was, yeah, brands that people love, but actually aren't, maybe wouldn't necessarily live up to their expectations. They're we, shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. <laughs> but no, and I think we've also spoken about it in previous episodes. With a car like Avantage, if you're going to buy Avantage, you're going to buy Avantage. I don't care what you think. Because firstly, we disagree on that car and on Aston Martin yeah. in general. And if I've decided to buy Avantage and you have a great spec one, which is well-priced, etc., which you're very likely to do, I'm just going to come and buy that car from you. Fewer and fewer people, I imagine, walk in your showroom and go, so, as I say, what, what have you got that's similarly priced at the moment? Uh, the GT4. GT4, okay, fine. So I think very few people come and go, I'm weighing up the GT4 and the Vantage. No. Talk me through the options. You no. know, I don't think that really happens anymore. And if they did, well, you're not selling a Vantage, are you? No, no, no. no. Well, yeah, but you're quite right. I, I don't really need to, when someone's buying something specialist like that, or a car that they want, I don't need to talk them in or out of it. Yeah. They, 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 I, I, I've always told the truth. And hopefully I'll come across on the podcast in that way. I always try and tell the truth. And whether I sell a car or not, I always tell the truth. Well, I think that's why people appreciate you, Tony. Oh, you're very kind. <laughs> Just you don't. Something, it's something I don't appreciate about you because sometimes the truth hurts. And sometimes we don't always want to hear the truth. Or we get sued. Well, that, that too. But this is hopefully going to be a very truthful episode, at least from my side. I'm going to try and be as completely brutally honest as possible. Um, I will say that maybe there might be some things that I want to keep up my sleeve in terms of against the competition. I don't think there'll be anything, but I was thinking about last night that maybe there are some things that I shouldn't reveal but i don't know i'm, I'm just gonna try and well, be an I, open book y- yeah and you you're always very honest as well and 
Listen, if there's something in there that you don't want to answer, then just, just you know, you only have to say. I'll be like the, uh, did you see the grid walk, grid walk yesterday? No. Oh my God, the grid walk was amazing. Martin Brundle, absolute hero. So yeah, full disclosure, we're recording this on a Monday, by the way. That's why we're talking about the F1 very excitedly because it was literally yesterday. Um, but yeah, it goes up to these various sort of, you know, superstars, Serena Williams, and the famous one was Megan the Stallion, who's a rapper, went over my head. And me. And he's there going, uh, Megan the Stallion, you're a freestyle rapper. Could you rap about the F1? today absolutely got her yeah and she's like I know and then some publicist comes to him and goes oh my god you can't do that and Martin Brothers goes well I just did so yeah. I can yeah. <laughs> um, anyway so I mean yes where do we start Tony well, today's before, YouTube special wait a minute before oh, we sorry, get going we've sorry. got some car news mate oh do we are you joking what car news have we got well First of all, the GT4 RS. <laughs> yes. Are you are you having me on? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, this is the first time ever I have not planned an episode because Tony's like, "Leave it with me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get all the questions. It's going to be. We should switch seats." And I said, "No, that'll be weird. It's like Anton Deck. We can't switch seats." Um, and now you're like, "Oh, so uh, it's your episode, Tony. What car news have we got?" Right. So we've got the GT4 RS as well, uh, and and I want to briefly talk to you about the. GTA experience. Oh, okay. We do have Kanye to talk. Right. Exactly. GT4 RS. So we got sort of basically, basically the car reveal, didn't we? It wasn't the official unveiling, but it was essentially the car revealed. Yeah. And a Nürburgring lap time. Now, I'm not Mr. Nürburgring here, so talk me through what was the lap time and how oppressive theoretically was uh, it? So it was 7.09 long lap. 7.04 short lap. So there's a five second difference depending on where they come out on the Nürburgring, essentially. Okay. Um, so if we go on the short lap, which is 7.04, which is how most of the cars have been timed around there, it's kind of as quick, maybe even a little bit faster than a 991.2 GT3. That's how good it is. So we we think this is a variation of some kind of GT3 engine, right? Either the 991.2 GT3 or maybe a detuned 992 GT3 engine. Yeah, I, I would say it's a detuned 992 GT3. And, and by the way, if I'm a couple of seconds either or on that lap time, I apologise. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's around the same as a 991.2 GT3. Which would be the fastest GT4, as we would expect, that's ever been made. Correct. And does the thing that we were always sort of asking about the GT4 and a potential GT4 RS, at what point does it start to really compete with the Halo 911 GT products? Because it's mid-engined, always had the most amazing sort of balance and weight distribution and yep. handling. You put a proper engine in it and suddenly... Is that the more desirable GT product from Porsche? Mm, well, I mean, it's definitely got the proper engine in it because of what I can hear around the Nürburgring. It's not that three litre uh, detuned, unturboed, retuned Anyway, yeah, it's but, not that. And on the onboard footage, it revs up to nine thousand RPM. Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you can always tell with that with that engine as well because it it makes a really poignant noise at, at the top of the top of the top of the range almost the, sounds like it's going to blow up almost sounds <laughs> yeah. like it's going to blow up yeah so um uh, it's definitely got a gt engine in it we we 
What do we think prices? Is it you? Is it ninety five grand plus options? I think so. Because what's, what's a GT four currently? Seventy two to seventy four plus options, and it, that usually ends you up at around ninety grand, doesn't it? With the right kind of options, if you have all the bits. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would think sort of early nineties for a list price plus the options will get you to one ten, one fifteen, something like that. I, I think it will be more like one twenty, one twenty five. What's With the, all the options on it. What's the usual price difference between a 3RS and a normal GT3? Uh, so the previous model, we don't know this model. Sure. The, the previous model spec. I'm only going to go on spec. Fine. Because that's how I always do it. So a previous model spec 991.2 GT3. Would By the way, I'm so sorry for non-Porsche <laughs> nerds because we are like going in here. But anyway, crack on, Sam. Crack on. I've had a coffee. Yeah. Um, is about one thirty-five ish. Okay. A spec free RS is about one sixty. Oh wow! So quite it's a significant hike. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So if we're yeah, we could we could expect a four RS to be somewhere on that hundred k bubble, either just below or just over in terms of a list price. Start plus the options. You're going to get one, right? If you, I mean, you want one. Oh yeah. As yeah. in, as in, I don't know if I'm going to get one from Porsche directly because I've decided not to play the game with them anymore, and you have to continue playing the game to get these cars. Are you buying endless other cars from Porsche that you don't want? Sure. Yeah. So, and that's not a dig at Porsche. That's a dig at the network. Yep, essentially, yep. we've been through it. We've been through that. Um, but yes, I'll. I'll it's right up your street as well. Right, I'm to say. Up, it's <laughs> absolutely right, right up, up your street. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we even said it on the road trip. I mean, there, you were foaming at the mouth at the idea of the forest, and now yeah. pictures come out, and this lap time comes out. And, oh, I think it's going to be too much for the road. Yeah, I, th- I think like it's going to be free RS. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be so much, dialed yeah. in and sort of so like it will be fantastic, but just a, just a bit too much. Mm. A bit like we often say. Well, actually, the GTS products are often the best in the Porsche lineup. I think a four RS just a bit too because. There were so many times during our recent trip where that GT4 for you felt a little underpowered, uh, you know, a little bit too corner focused and not much else. Where for us, it's going to be even more of that. But but the 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 bits that I found that were annoying on the GT4, they'll sort out in the RS, and it's not just about the power; it'll be about the turning and the brakes and and the gears and stuff. They'll just dial it up, and it will be like an RS, and actually. In the UK, it will be unbearable on the road. But in Europe, mate, the roads are beautiful. Unbelievable. And it will be insane. So if I get one, it will be... You're living in Europe. I'm moving to Germany. I'll get left-hand drive. Oh, get get left-hand drive drive one. (gasps) With my left-hand drive GT3 Touring. Oh, wait, did I just reveal that? (laughs) (laughs) Get one of Oh, mate. That's that's another video. Has that video gone out? Oh, that video would have just gone out on the main channel yesterday. Oh, wait. Uh... You've gone off the CS now, then? Is this the... the, the gone Porsche? off the CS? The, the, the free, Yeah. No, but man, I've always said that's a halo car for Would me. Would you want it or not? I do want it, but I, I won't buy it. I, it's not a YouTube car for me. Right. I've got the Moderna is perfect. So I'm only buying a Challenge Trolley when I've got... Well, it's not perfect, but... It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect for you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it, you know, the Stradale, like, it's... It wouldn't make sense doing what I do now. Right. So I'm only buying that car for me personally. Right. Where at the moment for my business, which is I guess what we're going to come on to in a second, it's more useful for me to spend that kind of money, 150 odd K on a different kind of car. Yeah, fair enough. So G- GTA. Yes, please. Woo! I really want I really want to know. What I want to know is what is the real difference between the normal quadrifolio 
and and that is it really night and day or is it is it just a waste of money okay so definitely i wouldn't say night and day i wouldn't and i hope i put that across in the video for the road for the road right okay for the road so i drove the middle version you've got the quadrifolio the gta and then the gta m the M is the one that's got a roll cage instead of rear seat. It's got extra air with that crazy big carbon fiber wing. Is that Project L- 8 competitor. Yeah. So, right. but the GTA and the GTA M are the same thing. They're just, the M is the track car. Right. So it's the same power and all that stuff like that. You just get a bit more aero, got the roll cage, lighter glass, etc. The GTA is the road version. You get four seats and it's a little bit more subdued, but the car's the same thing. Right. But, it, but it's a track car for the road. Yeah, 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 yes. So just go and buy a GT3 RS. Okay, no, hold on a second. <laughs> hold on a second. <laughs> because we spend all, I mean, every episode, we talk about how much we love a Jula Quadrifolio. Oh, fantastic car. For the road, yeah. Now, I hadn't driven one in anger for about four, three, four years. Quadrifolio? Quadrifolio. Did you drive one? Yeah, yeah, I took one on Mila Emilia in 2017 or 18. Like, so I, I spent, a, I've spent a lot of time in Julia Quadrifolios yeah, and yeah. done proper, proper. No, I mean recently. No, that's the whole thing. Right. So I was very aware of that getting into the GTA. Now, um, what can I tell you? So what have they actually changed? Power, very little. They have added a free-flowing exhaust, which probably adds about 30 horsepower, they claim. And oh. they've re-engineered the engine to make it a bit lighter. So they've, you know, they've cleaned bits up, they've reduced some weights, they've changed a bit of the ECU program. But fundamentally, they've just cleaned up an already very good engine. Don't, don't, don't need power for a track car anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we, you know, you get 30 horsepower, so 530-odd horsepower, yeah, yeah. whatever. Like, so nothing revolutionary there. Fine. Uh, weight saving on the fully fledged GTA M, it's 100 kilos. Right. And on the GTA, the one that I drove, it's 50 kilos. Okay. So again, not a huge difference, but enough. Okay. Uh, the aero is is worth talking about, but on the road is pointless. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who cares? Yeah. So the biggest difference really are the brakes, big old carbon ceramics, and the track. Standard. Standard. They're different carbon ceramics to the standard quadrifolio. Oh, sorry, are they standard? Yes. yes right. Because you can option those on the quadrifolio, can't you? You can. But they're a different one, apparently, from what you can stand. Okay, on the fine. Uh, is the, so the 50 millimeter wider at the front and rear. Right. So the car feels immediately flatter, handles better. 10 piston caliper? Don't know uh, that bit. Um, Over your head. Check the press release. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, the car sounded great. It was... Okay, should I talk about the neck? Oh, God, this is a whole episode. Um, <laughs> well, hurry up. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was fantastic. I loved it. It sounded great. It was such a easy car to thrash. It was not overpowered. Yes, it wanted to step the back out constantly because you get a bit of turbo lag in a Quadrifolio or in a Julia. You know, it does all kick in at the top end. So you want to be in that boost, which I can't remember the rev range, but you want to be high up. The gearbox lets it down. It's a bit squidgy. It's not a very sharp gearbox. It's a bit it's, sort of fudgy. Uh, is it the eight-speed eight ZF? Yeah, but yeah. it just, just feels a bit sort of fudgy. It's not, you know, you want it to Smack in a bit not, more. Not like a GT PDK or a, yeah, exactly. or, or a 488 or nothing like that. Needs yeah, to be yeah. sharper. Yep. Um, but a fantastically fun and enjoyable road car. The question I asked in the video, and I still think today, if I was in a standard Quadrifoglio, would I have had the, the same experience? Pro- maybe, probably. Mm. And therefore, it's not worth the 100k in my head. Yeah. If it was 35 grand more than a Quadrifoglio, I'd be all over it. And I have then found the answer. Are you ready for this? Go on. Don't mock me now. Well, I'll wait a minute. I'll see what you're going to say first. It's the Julia Quadrifolio F1 edition. Bear with me. There was a very limited run. I think they only delivered 
six cars to the UK or something like that. The one with the with the silly paint. Silly paint, but you get the essentially GTA Aero. So yeah. not the GTA M, but the GTA Aero. You get the power increase, not 30 horsepower, but I think it's 10 or 15. You get Acropovich exhaust. You get uprated components. So it sits somewhere between a Quattrofolio and a GTA, but its price, 85 odd grand on the used market. Right, so it's basically an M4 CS or an M3 CS. It, that's the M4 CS, and then the GTA is the M4 DTM. Oh my God. Do you God. see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, there's too many variants. Scrap the GTA and GTM, get the F1 edition. I'm done with it. Slash, just get a quadrifolio and spend 10 grand on making it fancy. Or just buy a GT Porsche. No, mate. Yes. That's not the argument. Just buy a That's- GT3. Because, because <laughs> it, that, that, is, that will just be the best car. If you want your head testing, go and no, buy that GTA no. thing. Four-door saloon. Right. Four-door saloon. cage in the back. No, the GTA does not. The no? GTA is a four-door saloon. Right. With the five seats. It's the normal road car. Right. Well, what a stupid car. <laughs> Mate, it's amazing. Well, it's even worse. It's amazing. Really? The only thing that's bad about it is the price. Of course. Because you love the Quadrifoglio. I love it. This is just a better Quadrifoglio, but it's 100 grand more. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. So get yeah. the F1 edition. Can you find me an F1? <coughs> Can you find me an F1 edition? Well, not if there's only six. No. Crack on. Not, not that you want me to make one. <laughs> oh, I just... Anyway, it was a brilliant experience. Really good fun. I'm glad lots of people seem to enjoy that video. And yeah, very cool. So thank you, Alfa Romeo, um, for, for that. Very good. I'm glad. Thank right, you. So getting on to today's topic. Yeah. I'm slightly oh, nervous. Oh. <laughs> it's flapping. So I figured... I've got loads of questions, as in that the that the audience have pinged on DMs. I'm sure you've got a few as well. Some of the questions were what I was going to ask anyway. Um, so I, I, I'm I'm just going to rattle through and talk, and then just let you get on with it, mate. Basically, sure. So let let's let's start from the top. Let's start from day dot. When you decided, what made you decide to come into YouTube? Essentially, because you had. No, I'll let you say, you you had a previous job um, in PR, so um, yeah, you yeah. go from there. Yeah, yeah. so I, I didn't go to university, Le- left school, didn't go to university, wanted to work in the music industry, got really lucky, got a job, worked in the music industry for like three or four years, basically didn't take enough drugs. <laughs> like That's what I worked out really quickly, I wasn't cool enough, didn't take enough drugs, I was out of my depth constantly. And you enjoyed it? I really enjoyed it, but I was a frustrated musician and working in the office. I was like, this is not really for me. So I literally, I mean, in the three years that I was in the music industry, I had four different jobs. So I really dropped around. So you wanted to be a musician? I wanted to be a musician. When I couldn't, at school, up until the age of 13, 14, I was racing. I wanted to be a Formula One driver. That didn't happen. So I had to find a new passion. That was music. Left school, wanted to be in a band, ended up working in- When you had hair, you had hair. I had hair. (laughs) There's photos of me with hair. It's an amazing moment. Um, Yeah, didn't get a uni, got, got lucky with a job. Eventually that funneled into PR, which I worked in an amazing PR job for like five years in the film and entertainment industry, did loads of really cool events, met really cool people. So yeah, so I, I worked from uh, seven, I left school, I turned 18 when I got the first job. So I left school at 18, uh, as you would do. And then I worked up until 25, 26 in those different industries. Um, but throughout that time, I always thought I want to make more money. Of course. I want to be more creative mm-hmm. and I want more freedom. Yeah, but the primary thing is I want to make more money. <laughs> of course. So uh, towards the end of my PR job and working in a big company, three hundred people, I thought, you know what, I'm only going to make lots of money if I'm my own boss. So Correct. I'll leave and I'll set up my own PR consultancy, and what I'll specialize in is Formula One sponsors, right? Because 
in my previous job, I had we'd done a couple of gigs, one for Vodafone with Jensen Button doing a promo up in Manchester, a couple of things with Lewis Hamilton. And I went, okay, so the sponsors have money, they need PR help, and this will get me into F1. Okay, because ultimately, you you as a person, obviously we know you're a huge F1 fan. We know that you're like the geek of F1. <laughs> nerd. The nerd of S1. Originally, if I'm not mistaken, you you thought that that may be your path into working in, in F1, right? Yeah, that was the whole dream. I thought, okay, fine. If I set up this consultancy, I'll specialise in, in F1 sponsor PR, then maybe that will eventually lead to me having a job full-time in Formula One. That was the goal. Right. That was the sole focus. So off I went. I had a couple of like really tenuous clients, really nice people, but the jobs were sort of low-key. I wasn't that busy. And about six months in, uh, I went to see my dad, who's been self-employed his entire life. Yeah. And I said, Look, I'm struggling with this self-employed life. I don't think it's for me. I think I why, should go why back. Why was you struggling? Because I struggled with the time management. I wasn't busy enough. I'd gone from a super high-pressure environment where I was working. I was a workaholic, so I was in the office at 7 30, 8 o'clock, and I'd stay there till 6 30, 7 like that. So, you know, 11 hour days or whatever, and just I'm full. I was busy the whole time and I loved it. And then suddenly I was sitting around by myself with like three, four clients, and two or three days of the week, I didn't have a lot to do. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I should be doing stuff. And I don't know. And I just, I wasn't coping very well with And that. this was before YouTube. This is before YouTube. So, I was about 25, 26 years old. And so I went to see my dad. So I think I'll go back and get a nine to five, shut down the consultancy. He said, whoa, 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 slow down. The thing to do is find a hobby. Find yourself a hobby. And when you're not that busy, you can do your hobby and it'll keep you interested. When you're busy, just put your hobby to the side. And I decided that would be YouTube because uh, multiple factors. Firstly, I've always been a nerd for making home videos. Yeah. So on family holidays, I was always making home videos. On all my trips with my mates, making home videos. Uh I was aware of YouTube becoming a growing thing. So 2000, this is two, this is 2015, I could say 2015, 2016, something like that. When it re- when YouTube really started to kick off. Yeah, obviously yeah. it's been around for, for, for decades by this yeah. point, but this was the rise of the bedroom vloggers. Yeah. So I would say YouTube's been through various stages. This was Zoella, um, uh, Alfie Days, um, Jack's Gap, um, Fun for Louie, like, you know, sort of really K- K- early. KSI, was he in there? Yeah, KSI was in there, of right. course. Um, but, you know, early YouTube and uh, some of my last events at my big agency, we used to do a lot of red carpet events and media. YouTubers were starting to turn up as talent. So you'd have Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, and then Zoella. And I was like, I was like, who are these idiots? Like, yeah. What are they doing? You yeah. know, and, and so I was aware of this kind of growing YouTube thing. So I was researching it and some of the brands I was working with I did a big uh, job with Louis Vuitton actually oh, yeah. hello yeah, yeah. Um, and my responsibility on that was actually to bring in talent for an event they were doing and they were a big focus on social yep. so I was like okay so this is a growing thing there's, you know, there's an opportunity here and they're making money and they're doing stuff so I thought great why don't I set up a YouTube channel around Formula One uh, that can show off my expertise get me new PR clients in Formula One and if it makes me a hundred quid a month or something like that you know, cool, like I'll get some tickets to go to races. Was, or- w- w- was this with the expectation of of kind of getting yourself out there to to eventually get in your dream job into F1? Or was this just, actually, this is a hobby and we'll just see where it goes? I think it was more like, let's get more PR clients. Fair. I think that's what I thought. I thought, I thought better off that I get known as the F1 guy and that yeah. will help get me more clients, I thought. Um, as I did some research, that evolved into, at the time, 
London street car photography was blowing up. Okay. So Alex Penfold, TFJJ, yeah. Adam Shah, um, Forfait MRP, of course, Supercars of London, Paul Wallace. Yeah, yeah. You know, incredible street photography of supercars in and around London. Yeah. I was living in Clapham, which people don't know is southwest London, and my office was in Mayfair. Look at me. <laughs> that was definitely mates' rates, by the way. F- FYI, I was not paying full whack for that. So I was getting the bus from Clapham to Mayfair every single day and seeing all of these cars that the spotters weren't seeing because they weren't in on the middle of the week. They were either at school or whatever. They'd come in in the evenings. Yeah. So I thought, heck, here we go. Why don't I just make a vlog on my way to work each day of the cars that I see? Okay. Because I thought that'd be easy. The content's yep. there. I'll upload it. There's a growing ap- appetite for it. Bish bash bosh. Cars, Formula One. It all kind of crosses over. Okay. So so then so then you're you, you, you've kind of transitioned from from being this PR consultant into the unknown world of YouTube, for instance. You you you've you've set your goal of what you've kind of started to plan with what you're going to do and where you're going to be essentially what was the direction from that point so me we all we all have a different direction and where we want to be in terms of um future and how you're going to plan your business and at that point did you think it was a business absolutely not there right, was okay. and, and, it, and i had zero intention of making it a business right i wanted to have a really cool blog or vlog or YouTube channel or something that was just there that, that I could get, you know, I could explore my passion in. As I say, if it made me a hundred quid a month, I would have been happy. Okay. That's all it was. It was just something to do. Right. So something to do. So then at what point then did you, did the light bulb moment go and go, actually, I can make a living out of this? Not until bang on a year later. Right. When through a lot of luck and circumstance, I ended up on a trip with Paul Wallace. You make, you make your own luck, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen. No, you do. Yep. In, in yeah, business yeah. and in life, you make your own luck. So uh, I end up in Monaco with Paul Wallace because London, Shmi 150 and Seb Delaney. And you, how did you meet them? You, you've met them on the streets of London? Or? <laughs> yeah, so Seb, amazing. I've told the story a few times before, was the first person that reached out. I had about 1,500 subscribers and I get this message on YouTube. You used to be able to message people on YouTube. Did like, you know about them? Did you know about them? D- no idea who Seb was. Right. So he messaged me saying, hi, I'm from Monaco, <laughs> a successful entrepreneur. <laughs> I, I know Shmi 150, who I think you know of. And I'm coming to London. I'd love to talk to you about your channel. And I was like, wow. I was calling my friends and family. But this guy from Monaco's reached out. This is amazing. And uh, went to Starbucks and then walked Seb Delaney at 16 years old at the time. And I was like, ah. You thought the sun had turned up. Bless him. Uh, yeah, I did think the son of, the son of whoever mentioned <laughs> yeah, me. Like, Is your yeah. father coming? <laughs> Bless him. Should I get you to school? <laughs> Seb being Seb, what was amazing is we had very similar thoughts about YouTube. Yeah. So I'd come at it from, you know, watching YouTube from the outside, working with talent, blah, blah. And in all these other sectors, beauty and bedroom, they all collaborated. There was a huge amount of collaboration. Did you watch YouTube then? Oh Yeah, well, from a business point of view. I watched a lot of motorbike vlogging, actually, is what I watched. Did you? Yeah, a lot of motorbike vlogging. Um, But I was aware of YouTube and I was researching a lot for work and then also personally. And yeah, we were both talking about, oh, there's so much, they all work together. This is so great. None of that's happening in the automotive space. So Seb and I thought, well, let's, Let's make that happen. Yeah. Let's, let's collaborate first and let's try and get Schmee to collaborate and Supercars London and all these people to collaborate. And that was really the start of it. We did a video 
Monaco versus London supercar spotting. We both filmed on the same day, called each other, then we sent each other the footage and edited up this collaboration. Okay. That led me to bump into Shmi on the street about a week after that had gone live. And he waved me down and said, oh, I saw the video I did with Seb. Really liked it. I was like, great, we should do one. And he was like, oh yeah, okay. Um, Paul, I met, literally I did meet on the street. I, he was out spotting or something like that. I pulled over, parked up, went and said hi. And then I was working on a James Bond exhibition at the time in Covent Garden as, for the PR job. So at that point, at that point, you were still kind of doing it as a hobby. 100% still right, a hobby. Fine. I was 70% um, PR consultancy, 30% YouTube. Uh, and this was about, I don't know, a February, March time. So yeah, about six months into doing the YouTube channel. And yeah, working on this big James Bond exhibition and they wanted to get some bloggers in. And so I said, oh, I know this guy does a lot of car content. Maybe I can invite him. So I then messaged Paul and said, oh, look, we met on the street. They got this James Bond thing. Would you want to come along? And he's like, yeah, cool. And so that's how we started to chat. And you weren't pals then. You were more acquaintance then. Oh yeah. I mean, we met once on the street. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, we didn't know each other. Uh, then um, I bought, so then Paul and I started to hang out more and more. Yeah, yeah. Seb and I were talking a lot. And then I bought the 4C and Shmi sent me an invite for a supercar road trip. Okay. And that's when I hung out with Shmi. So, so that was about seven months into me starting a YouTube channel. Right. Like so, so at that point, you're all, you're all, you're all head to Monaco. You're all do your collaborations and your, and your trip and whatnot. Was it at that point where you thought, hmm, yes. I'm onto something here? Because I saw, not necessarily with my own channel, but I saw how Tim, Shmi and Paul ran their channels as businesses. Yeah. They were talking about money. They were talking about brand deals, which were in their infancy at that point. Yeah. And they were fully nonstop, not even nine to five, 24 seven, running their channels as a business. What yeah. content can I create? What can I post? What am I filming tomorrow? What am I doing? I was there as a hobby, having a laugh, being like, oh yeah, let's just film this. They were like on it. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap. Like, firstly, this is viable. Secondly, this is way more exciting than anything else I've done. I'm really enjoying it. And there's a huge amount of potential. Up until this point, so I would say that this is maybe 10 months into me setting up the YouTube channel. I had made, um, I had actually been paid yet. So YouTube took a long time to release any funds. You got monetized, but it takes a long time to release. You had to hit a certain barrier. So I think I'd maybe made a thousand pounds in that 10 months. So we can touch on that. We can touch on that very briefly. I don't really want to talk about money in this op episode at all because that's not really fair. We're going to gloss around it, but I don't want to talk about numbers because that's your private business. So in general, I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about in general. Um, at, at what point do people start getting paid on YouTube? Is it a time? Is it a number of views as a new channel? Well, this has changed so much since I started. Yeah. When, when I began, you literally opened a channel, you clicked monetize my channel and off you went. Okay. Now you've got to hit a certain criteria. I think you have to keep up that criteria. I actually don't even know what it is, but if you log onto YouTube, it will tell you straight away. But even when you make that criteria, it's a snowball effect. Okay. At the beginning, money is very small because you, well, Google, let's not forget, own YouTube and they're the ones who place ads automatically within your videos. No control. So You've got no control. You literally click monetize my videos. Okay. Now you can go in and you can default, you can, sorry, you can choose what kind of ads Google can place on your videos. So is it one of those annoying skip ads at the beginning of the video? Is it one of those pop-up banners? You can do all of that. But all you are doing is limiting your earning potential. And can you can you 
choose how many ads you have on your video? You can. Right. But again, you're limiting your potential. Now, this is getting really nerdy, but essentially, for every single video and every single viewer, Google is doing an auction for advertisements yep. that take place in milliseconds. In the blink of an eye, yep. they're doing an auction. And that is for all range of ads. So that is for those annoying skip ads at the front. That's for those 30-second ads you can't skip. That is for those pop-up banners. It's for every kind of ad that they might want to place. Now, if you start to take away some of their options, deselect things, move things around, Google are then having to discount stuff. That auction can't take place in the way that it usually would. Right. So, of course, you have to keep in mind your viewer's experience. You do not want to upload a 10-minute ad that has 32, sorry, 10-minute video that has 32 ads in it because no one's going to want to watch that. They're not going to watch it, yeah. But the best thing you can do is click monetize this video and let Google sort it out because YouTube slash Google as a platform is not going to want to deter a viewer. Right. They have figured out through all of their insights and data the best way to have ads played throughout a video okay. that doesn't impact the viewer. So you're better off just to let them do that. And that's an, that's an algorithm that sorts that, right? Oh my God, yeah, completely. Right, okay. They figured it all out and say like, you know, all happens like, you don't even know it's taking place. Yeah. So yeah, it takes a long time for that money to build. So yeah, with, for me, five, six years ago, after 10, 11 months of a channel, I couldn't tell you how many views I had. I probably had maybe 40,000 subscribers by this point. Maybe, maybe actually no, because at the end of the Monaco trip, I had 60,000 subscribers. I had earned a thousand pounds. Okay. So that was, you know, nearly a year's work, 60,000 subscribers. I had enough views. I had definitely a couple of videos that had gone over a hundred thousand views, but it was a thousand pounds. So clearly from a money point of view, then it was still a, a, a hobby because you, you're, you're not making any money, mate. Uh, you know, you're, zero money. You're properly back to front at that point. And you've got to remember that within this same period of window, I was probably two, two and a half years into launching my own business, a PR consultancy. Yeah. So my whole focus was making that profitable, making that a viable business. And yeah. that was where I was making my money. And I'd be making more than I had as a salary at an agency. Um, but, you know, I was learning, you know, being self-employed, the peaks and troughs of invoices and business. And we all know you, don't, yeah, you don't have a salary at the end of the month. You've got to go and find that money. And sometimes mm. it's going to be a good month. Sometimes it's going to be a bad month. Correct. So I was still figuring that out. But YouTube, before that trip with Paul and Tim, was not a, that was not a financial opportunity. I, I made a grand in, in 11, 10, 11 months. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, I was like, no way is this a thing. But spending that time with them, seeing what they were making, seeing where the opportunity was and seeing how you could apply yourself and busy yourself with this channel, I thought, okay, there is something here though. Okay. So then, so then you'd work that bit out. Was that the point when you was at, you mentioned 60,000 followers and how many views and whatnot? Was it was it at that point where you thought, right, okay, I, I, I really need to go two feet in now, and 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 this is this is going to be my career essentially. So yeah, this is the part that no one knows actually, and I haven't really spoken about before. Christmas that year, so we we finished that trip in sort of October time. Christmas that year, I decided I wanted to close down the PR consultancy and go full time YouTube. And was that still making money? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was a, that was my business. I mean, right. I, I I can't think what I was making, but it was you know, it was decent. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. it was you know it was Fine. it was a decent business. Um, uh, and as I said, I mean, I'd, I'd earned a thousand pounds. So yeah, but I decided this is what I wanted to do, and so I decided to find an investor. Fair. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find an investor mm -hmm. who's going to back me and allow me 
a year or two years of going at YouTube because I believe at that point I can get it to a point where it earns. So I built an investment pack. I sat down with three or four different people, friends, friends of friends. I don't know. I can't even remember who I met with. Mm-hmm. And come Christmas, I don't think I'd really had any offers or anything like that, but I had some people sniffing around. And so I thought, oh, you know, let's call dad. <laughs> I was like, you know, he'll be a good investor. And I went to see dad and said, oh yeah, I've had these meetings and here's the investment deck. And I said, you know, I wanted to have a chat with you. And back in again with the killer advice from dad, he just went, why are you trying to give away a piece of a business, which you haven't even built yet? You know, what happens in two, three years time, if you start making half a million pounds a year and you're having to give away 40% of that? Will well, you not kill yourself? I mean, he's bang on, by the way, your yeah. dad. <laughs> and, and as well, <laughs> how, 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 do you put a, how do you put a value on something that's not made any money? It's impossible, you know. You, 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 it was all you, speculation. You're pissing in the wind. Which basically. every decent investor that I'd met with, the three or four of them, who you know were all different backgrounds, yeah, all asked that question. Yeah, yeah. There's all speculation. It was like a dragon's den thing with the mm. Um And so he came at it from a different tactic, which was how much, like, how much have you saved up? How many invoices are you due? What contracts have you got left? Blah blah. And I worked out that if I worked up until March that year. And, you know, finished all the jobs, got all my invoices paid and looked at my savings. I could make it through 12 months from that point of YouTube. Keeping the PR. That, that, means, that means the invoices from the PR company, essentially. Yes. They're all settled up. Everything's settled. You then shut the firm. You've shut the 12 firm. months money to, to really concentrate on pushing YouTube, right? Yeah. So as I could close the doors of the PR firm in March and by Christmas, if I hadn't earned one cent of YouTube, I'd have been able to get through the year, covering my bills, doing all the activity I wanted to do, and I'd then be broke by Christmas next year. Right. Okay. So that was my gamble. Cool. Right. So that's the gamble. And, and in business, ladies and gentlemen, you have to do that. There, there becomes a point... Your dad probably would have told you this. And and by the way, for people that think that Sam's dad has funded his business or YouTube, I know there's a lot of a stigma attached, not just to Sam, but to automotive YouTubes in general. I can categorically say that your dad, knowing your dad, has not given you a penny because I know... Do you want to tell the 540C story really quickly? Do you want to talk about that real quick? So we could talk about it really quick. So when I first met Sam... Uh, uh, I'd sold your Jag, right? Yeah, I'd yeah, sold yeah, your yeah. Jag. So I'd sold Sam's Jag. Sam was on the hunt for a new car. Um, we, we're gonna we're gonna go into cars and how mm. you think that monetizes YouTube and stuff as well. But but Sam wanted a supercar for the channel, a full on proper supercar to take his channel to the next level, and he's gonna be bigger than Schmi. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm exaggerating, yeah, but you know yeah, what I mean. Course, yeah. So so anyway. It was a uh, you chose a McLaren, uh, and uh, and at the time we was we was talking. We just started to become friends. We were more colleagues at that point. Um, and I said, "Well, I've never had a McLaren. If you buy one, I'll buy one." <laughs> so I've got, so got a really good mm. idea. Let's get one each. So uh, anyway, I, I, I was tasked with finding Sam a car, which uh, I spoke to the McLaren network, um, and we found you a car, and it was. Um, London or it was or London. Ascot. It was London. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. But but it was within. It was either the car was either at Ascot, but London. They're the same. Known by yeah. the same. Thing. So anyway, we goes to London. He sits in. We start specking these cars and cars that can come specamendable to you and 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 you got to wait and and then the bloke said, well actually I've got this black car. It's a five forty C 
do you want it? And I'm digging him. Yeah, go on, go on, get, get. So anyway, I, I finally convinced him to 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 buy this car. So Dick. so he, he's he's drinking the coffee and he's he's uh, you know looking at surroundings and he's nice and comfortable. And then we go outside. We leave. The paperwork's done. We leave. And then I have honestly, and it's apart from the volcano story, it's the next funniest story I've got about you. Honestly, I have never known anyone to flash. I had a panic attack in Knightsbridge. The biggest panic attack. I mean, I was going to walk away from him. That's how bad it was. Oh, and and you just started uh, courting Vicky at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, so oh, oh, I got to call Vicky. Oh my God, I got to call my dad. And he was probably but, uh, I literally lost my cool because I was like, what have I just done? But the, the point I wanted to touch on, which was my favorite part of it all. So I, I think, so Magnitude Finance did the finance for it. And I think the payments were like 1400 quid a month or something like that. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. It was yeah, yeah. more money than I've ever paid for anything. And I was just like, oh, oh, oh. and when we finally came to the point, um, the, the lender, the underwriter, looked at my accounts and was like, no, and said, somebody needs to guarantee it. So you need someone with a more stable financial background to come on as a guarantor, which essentially means that if I miss any of the payments, it doesn't default. Uh, there's somebody else who kicks in and makes the payments which, for which you. Is, which is, by the way, not just in your scenario. When you're quite young and you're building a credit profile, that that's fairly common, mate. Okay. In general, that is common. If you're, if you're just about to go a hundred and... 40 grand yeah, was that car like that. basically yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, i made know. 20 grand <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah. they want to know you can pay the car so so i was like okay well i guess i can try my dad <laughs> and this is why i wanted to touch on it because you know there's always you know I, I came from a very very lucky upbringing a very fantastic upbringing. my parents are incredible my dad's worked his ass off to be able to send me to amazing schools yeah take me on great holidays etc etc yeah. but because he's worked his ass off there is nothing in this life that he's going to give me for free no. or any step up. You know, he will try and open doors, but he's definitely not going to bankroll anything. So the process to get my dad to sign on as a guarantor not only took about two and a half weeks of me having to try and convince him just to sign as a guarantor. Financially, the only implication is he had 140 grand worth of debt that could come knocking his door at some point. And that if was his favourite thing. If you didn't thing. pay it. If I didn't pay, yeah. it was going to turn up at his door. He was freaking out. And he got Tony and Tim from Magnitude to go to his office in central London for like a sort of say hi meeting. And he got you, do you not remember? He got you to write a piece of paper saying that you guarantee that you will buy the car from me at a certain value if I don't make payments so that he never gets the debt. I I remember, yeah. I remember (laughs) it vividly. And and as well, I used to, because obviously... I never really used to watch a lot of YouTube, but I would watch it. And that's how I come across you guys. And then just incidentally, you use the same rapping company Mm -hmm, as me, mm -hmm. which is how I kind of got involved. And I I used to think, how are these boys? I mean, they must be funded by someone or their parent. And I had that thought. Until I actually met your dad, and then I realised that this is <laughs> not, not funding anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not even funding oh, himself. God, I wish. Yeah, he don't, don't want to spend no money. He doesn't. He literally does not want to spend money. So yeah, so I just wanted to tell that story because it's one of my favourite stories of, of us, but also the start of YouTube because you know everyone does things differently. And as I say, I I will never knock my upbringing. What a f- amazing upbringing I've had but a lot of that has been in how my dad has been able to and my mum my mum's also fantastic in business and very yeah. sensible yeah. they've both been able to guide me and give me advice and 
And that was the perfect thing. I took on that McLaren debt. I took on that finance with all the pressure on me. Of course. You know, that, uh, the, the stress. And me. Or, or, <laughs> and you. The, the threat that my dad placed on me for theoretically having this debt turn up at his door one day scared the living bejesus out of me. So yeah. there was definitely no... Anyway, I, I don't feel like I have to justify it, but I just want to tell that story because yeah, it, it, it makes me laugh. It was very good, yeah. yeah. So so then so then you've, you, you, you've now... You've now, uh, where were we? You've now shut the PR company. Yeah, shut the PR company. You're, you're now, you're now fully into YouTube. What was your, what was your ambition at that point? Where, where did you think the channel was going to take you? That's a good question, actually. I, I, I must have been very cocky. I mean, I'm, I think, I think I probably thought the sky's the limit. You know, I, I don't remember ever going. This is this is what I want to achieve or, but I'm sure at that point I was thinking, heck, I, you know, a million subscribers and 100 grand a day. Like I'm sure because those were the stories that we were hearing. And that's the, you know, I was that I was starting out on a YouTube journey when YouTube was really in an upswing. Yeah. And there were channels just like Paul, you got to remember when Paul started daily vlogging way back in, yeah, 2017, 2016, 2017, Tim's a slightly different story. Okay. We'll come back we to that can in a second. But, that, yeah. you know, Paul went from oh, 300,000 subscribers to 600,000 subscribers or 150 to 300. I can't remember, but Paul had an insane growth spurt. Yeah. And there were channels doing this left, right and center. So there was a kind of like, well, why couldn't that be me type thing? And I definitely look now, my biggest hands up moment from all of this is it's taken me four years, probably up until Drive the World, to think of my YouTube channel as a business. Yeah. Because it started as a hobby and because I only had a very brief experience of running my own business, the thinking of it like a business, making it profitable, uh, looking at costs, working out how to grow the business, that took me four years to do. So okay. I think at the beginning, I've got to be honest, I had no plans. Right, okay. So so you, 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 you uh, at that point, you were earning some money. You was earning enough to get by, I would think. Um... And you, something must have gone in your head, because it did for me. It's slightly different for me, but something must have gone in your head where you thought, right, this is now a business. This is now, right, so how can, how can I earn money from YouTube, apart from views, by the way? that There must have been a time where you thought, I can't earn enough money from just views I need to think outside the box. And we're going to talk about the, 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 the how you run your channel as well, because how you run your channel is completely different to anyone else, by the way. I think, personally, someone looking in as a businessman, you run your sure. channel completely different to anyone else. So uh, how at that point did you think, maybe I need to think outside the box? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, not until very recently. I, right. I really wouldn't because up until up until Drive the World, uh, I would say 70%, 75% of my earnings came from YouTube ad revenue. Before Drive the World? Before Drive the World. So it's up to 20, end of 2018. Okay. 70% of my earnings came from YouTube ad revenue. Okay. And right. it was good earnings. Yeah, they yeah. were getting better and better year on year. Month by month, I could see an improvement. It's cyclical. There mm -hmm. were bad months on YouTube. There were good months. Not only, you know, per your channel, but depending on what people, when people are advertising, you know, yeah. around Christmas, some ad 
advertisers will spend a lot more, so you make yep. a lot more. So, you know, it all moves around. And, that, but and that's like any business, by the way, Sam. Yeah. You know, there's always peaks and troughs in business, and you run with it. And do you know what? The biggest barometer that you can always have in a business is that if you run it for a full 12 months, and then you've got something to go on for the next 12 months, they're never always the same. But what it does is, once you get your full 12 months, and when you want to borrow some money, by the way, from a bank or anything... They love that. Yeah. If you've okay. done 12 months of of earning money, whether it's consistent or not, but they know what you've earned over a calendar year. Okay. And that's a really good barometer for a, for a businessman because then you've got a target. Sure. So you go next year, you go, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I want to earn that or I want to earn more, but I can't earn less. Yep. You know, you've so got- by this point, I need to have earned that. That's how I know if I've done Correct. a good year or bad year. And did you ever think like that? Did yeah, you get so, to that point? So 2018 was really that pivotal year and into 2019, which was Drive the World, because by 2018, I think I was probably, that was probably my third full year of being a YouTuber. Right. So I'd learned when things can be good, when things can be bad. Oh, it's, guys, it's January. We don't earn anything in January. Just accept it. Yeah. Oh, it's September. Cash in September. Like I knew how that could plan out. I had experimented with different types of content. I knew what worked on the channel. I'd done the big Vlog Angeles series, which was the three months in America. I'd done a couple of months around Italy. I, you know, I, I, I knew my channel. Mm. I knew my channel and uh, sponsorships were becoming a thing. Commercial deals were becoming a thing and they were getting bigger and bigger. So in year one, if I got a commercial deal, it could have been with the biggest brand in the world and it would have been for 500 quid for a full video. But but by 2018, you know, that was starting to be thousands of pounds okay. and much more clever campaigns and all these different things. So yeah, by 2018, I was like, right, you know, th- this is good. Like the things are built like this. And that's why I did Drive the World because at that point, the potential for earnings from YouTube and what I was earning told me that the more YouTube content I can create, the more of a narrative and excitement and pull people in, the greater this will become. Okay. So uh, so I'm going to pick up on two things that you said then. I've actually realised over the years through, through knowing you that you have changed. So, and you said that in one of your statements just then. January, you would accept that you would just earn that money in January. In mm-hmm. September, you'd hit the jackpot and you feel that you could like put your feet up and you know you'd done your money. That was back in 2018 before Drive mm-hmm. the World. I know probably now, knowing you a lot better than what I knew you in 2018, you don't think like that anymore. And that's because you've become a businessman now. So when January hits, you now... I hope you think like this. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> I completely got you wrong. January's not normally right. How can we make it right? Because yeah. that's what a good businessman does. They don't, they don't sit on their laurels and just wait. They react. So uh, from knowing you and we become friends and, and the way that you behave, I, I think that's what you've learned over the years from from turning this... this I'm going to call it a monster because you're on 500,000 followers. Was, yeah. What, I, whatever. I, yeah. And, and you've turned this in from what we can gather. I mean, there's loads more stories, but, but this could be three hours long, this podcast. Um, and you've turned it in from a hobby into a full-blown business. And I think Drive the World, or just before Drive the World, really made you understand that. 100%, I think, yes, it's... it's 
I think at the beginning, because it was a hobby for so long and then it just lucked into being this job and then it started to earn money and then it started to earn more money than I was earning the PR. And it was all just sort of, it was all too good to be true. Yeah. Whilst, don't get me wrong, and I've said it from day one, I've worked harder running a YouTube. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. YouTube channel than I worked any other day in my life. And, and I worked some very high pressure, exhausting campaigns and with clients and jobs. Like, but... It is a non-stop 24-7 job. This yep. job is is flat out. Exa- this is why there's such a high burnout rate on social media. Correct. It is exhausting in yep. every capacity, but brilliant. And at the beginning, I was, a, as I said, I was a workaholic mm. and I was suddenly doing something which I adored. It felt easy to me in the sense that it was natural. Like I could just wake up and I could make content. Like what a, br-. and then money was coming and I was like, this is unbelievable. I never stopped to think, okay, what am I spending? And what happens in a bad month? And why is that a bad month? And what's going to happen next year? All I thought about was content. Okay. So all I thought about was like, oh crap. Okay. Uh, what's my, what are my videos in November? And oh, I've got to come up with a cool content series. And like, which was the right way to do it then. But if I now look back, I think my profit margins for the first three years were close to zero, if any, because I just... I was just burnt. I'm like, it was just go, 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 go. The money was coming in. The money was going, like, I was just having a brilliant time. Yeah. And I can, and I can tell you, we know why. And I can tell you why that we can share this with the audience because it's nothing to do with money. Mm-hmm. You, I think you got into the, into the routine of, um, which is why you bought your McLaren essentially of, right, this is how I'm going to grow the channel. I'm, I'm going to get on the, let's buy a supercar. Let's wrap it. Let's put an exhaust on it. Let, and you, pre-drive the world 
you'd got into that rut a little bit. It, it, explain your your thinking behind that. And I know a couple of other YouTubers were doing it then and still do it now. But it, explain your, your, your thinking and why you changed your model at that point. It is still, unfortunately, to this day, a very easy way to get a lot of views. Yeah. I bought A is still, if you want to spike in the channel... Off you go. Does it have the same impact it did three, four years ago? No way at all. If you unveiled a new car, it was 200,000 views. If you weren't getting 200,000 views on that unveil, you had failed massively. Now, okay, it's just a little bit of a spike over what you did before. But it's still a great content narrative and an arc that people love to follow for whatever reason. I, by year three, firstly, I have short attention span and I get bored quite easily. It's just a thing in my life. Yeah, yeah. And by year three, I was like, I've done it. I've, I've, I've bought incredible, I mean, I just bought a McLaren. I mean, actually by 2018, I'd bought a Ferrari. Like, you know, I was, I say, I've, I've done it. And I'd lost interest in that narrative. But also by that point, it had gone from two, three, four of us doing it and being great mates and doing everything together and just buzzing off each other to suddenly 25 channels all doing the same thing. The f- everyone seemed to be doing, no one was being, in my opinion, creative. No one was thinking outside the box we were all filming the exact same cars from the same dealerships in the same locations with the same narrative, the same angle, and sometimes even together. And I was like, well, this doesn't, as an audience, as someone watching this, I'm bored and fed up of it. Yeah. Like, okay. And, and so my thought would drive the world, but the reason I came to drive the world was I need to do something different for myself. Yeah. Um, and we're going to we're going to come on to drive the world next, but there's the, just one thing I want to clear up before we before we go on to that. So, you've then you, you you said that you 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 feel that you've done it and you'd bought the cars. Was that was that a personal decision or was that a financial decision where you thought actually I'm not going to keep laying money out on cars. And I'm talking about you and mm. you only as a business, by the way. I'm not talking about Shmi or mm. any of the other YouTubers that if that's how they're going to run their business, if they think it's viable, that's fair enough. I'm talking about you as a person and how you run your business. Was it that point where you thought, this isn't for me? <laughs> so I've got to be honest. I only started to realise how expensive cars are (laughs) when COVID arrived. Like up until that point, the cars were a necessity for me personally, because I love cars. And uh, and the channel justified them every which way. So, So it almost was, what is the most expensive car I can afford? Or what is the most expensive bracket of car? I never, I always felt like I was picking a car that I wanted, that I thought I could tell a story with on the channel. Mm-hmm. I didn't think, okay, what car's going to get me views? It was like, right, what could I get, which I'm going to really enjoy and like I could do loads of cool stuff with. Because I thought if I'm passionate about the car, people will like to follow my story. Yeah. Um, so that was the thing. But it was always like, a, you know, I've got to have a car. And, you know, picking the Carrera T for Drive the World, there were so many factors. And a big part of that was how will it appear on the channel? What would be a cool car to take on that channel. Uh, sorry, on that trip. So only when COVID hit that I sat back and I went, right, let's look at all my business. I went, oh my God, cars are, <laughs> the guy's spending a lot of money on cars. Uh, and let's not forget, early days, press loans, dealership, that wasn't a thing. No. You know, we were very lucky if a dealership would lend us a car for an hour. Okay. They would probably be in the passenger seat. Whatever. Nowadays, 
I'm in a bloody F type that I don't th- I think Jag have forgotten I've got. Like, like I've had that car for six months. I put umpteen number of miles and they just like almost didn't even respond to my emails now oh, when yeah. I tell them about stuff. So that has changed. Yeah. So back then there was a requirement to have cars and a need and a want. Whereas now I'm for you, spoiled. Yeah, 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 yeah. This I mean, is this is for you. Um oh totally. And uh, as you say, all businesses run differently, but yeah, so so that was that was the thing. So so yeah. Okay. So we come on to drive the world now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you, you've said that in in 2018, 75% of your earnings was YouTube. Mm-hmm. You, you had this unbelievable idea. And I remember you talking to me and saying, mate, I'm going to drive around the world. Keep it to yourself. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to drive around the world. And I said, what? You said, yeah, you thought I, I was I'm, a nutter. I honestly thought you'd lost the plot. <laughs> And I said, what do you mean you're going to drive around the world? And he said, well, this is going to take some planning. But you had this idea in your head that, I mean, and you pulled it off, by the way. Thank you. Um, that what you was going to do, the, the the audience won't know that it took you a year. Yeah, plan. yeah. The, the, the initial idea was supposed to be for 2018. Uh, we delayed it because Vicky got a new job. Correct. And so it didn't feel right. So, so I had the idea at the end of 2017 like literally like November, 2017. I was like, oh, January, we're going around the world. So we delayed it. So it was a, it was a year and a bit. Um, the actual intense planning was July. Uh, I actually went to Bulgaria with Vicky, convinced her parents to tell Vicky it was a good idea. And Vicky said, okay, I'm in. And so from July through it, so it was six months of hardcore everyday logistics and whatever. Yeah. So let, 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 let's talk about that adventure a little bit in terms of, you probably knew as a person because then you're a businessman at that point, 2018, 2019, we figured out you'd become a businessman. So you're, you're then, you're then thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this adventure. I've got this amazing idea. YouTube in its own entity is not going to pay for this on its own. So then what did you do? Did you put a package together or did you, did you approach brands or what did we, you do? We, I, I, I'd worked out we needed a huge amount of funding up front. So there was a lot of funding that I needed up front because yes, whilst the absolute truth of it is of course this was an adventure I wanted to do, but this was primarily as a business idea of how to take the channel onto another level, how to grow the channel, how to do something different, how to get out of that rut of buy car, go to Monaco, go to Monterey Car Week, whatever. It was, let's do something completely different and unique. And my thought was, and everything had been telling me that if I did daily content from around the world in this massive adventure, I would be at 5 million subscribers by the end of the year. So this was like my whole thing. But yeah, I realised I had to get a whole load of funding up front. So sponsors. Uh, initially it was like, let's get a load of sponsors. I needed uh, sponsors to help with the car shipping. Yes, with the cost of fuel and accommodation, but what other sponsors could we find? You know, luggage, you know, whatever way it was, I had to somehow commercialize this trip and make it uh, a viable option for commercial partners. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I literally, I mean, we went, I cannot think how many emails and meetings I went to, you know, from everyone up to like a Halfords down to, you know, Bob's spare parts. I was having calls with companies in Australia, in America, like insurers, like it, I genuinely made myself ill planning that trip. Yeah. So the stress levels were so insane. So I lost uh, eight kilos uh, out of distress. I wasn't exercising. I was eight kilos out of stress. Um, I just uh, developed a severe, um, what's called um, a digestive issue. Which I remember which very you know, well. I couldn't eat anything or do anything. Like, it yeah. was the whole thing was, there's so much stress, but obviously it all panned out thing. But yeah, a lot. So 
long story short, I think when we launched the fact I was doing it, I did a Kickstarter. And that was simply Vicky's idea, which was when we were struggling with a bit of the money, she said, well, why don't you see if your audience will give you some? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, no. At first I, I wouldn't want to ask the audience and no one would ever do it, blah, blah. Somehow we decided, okay, fine, let's give it a go. And let's set a really low threshold. If we get it, great. If not, it is what it is. And I think it was like, tw- so basically, sorry, I should have said we needed 125K before the, we left. For the whole trip. For, uh, the trip would cost more, but before we left, we needed 125K. This is not including the car. Not including we the car. We haven't even got to the car. Yeah, yeah, not including the car. So 125K, just, I think that was the first six months or something like that. To, to get through shipping costs, flights, accommodation, uh, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, let's do the 25K, that will book our initial flights, book our hotels for the first few months, get the car to Australia, all these things. And we set up the Kickstarter and Vicky dreamt the night before of the money coming in. Going, ding, 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 ding. And I was like, you're having a laugh, love. Like, no one's, get, no one's back in this. And we launched it and literally sat there watching it go, ding, 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 ding. It was unbelievable. And genuinely, the first money that we got in terms of sponsorship or backing for that trip was the audience. Unbelievable. That was the first money we got. All the commercial partners that we ended up having for it came after. Yeah. So, and I think actually having said my audience have backed us, helped with a lot of those, you know, those yep. meetings and things. Yeah. Uh, next up was Cars, the shipping partner. That was a huge relief. I actually got that cool whilst I was on the Rolls Royce Cullinan launch in America. And Paul will tell you, I was literally in the car on the phone having this phone call and he said, oh yeah, cool, we'll, we'll commit. We'll, uh, we'll back you. And I got the phone. I was like, oh my God. Like it was like the most biggest release I've ever had in my life. Yeah. So th- this is actually one of the questions that I remember and we'll touch on it because we're in this, in this part of the conversation. When, when you want to uh, approach a sponsor or mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. brand, mm-hmm. do you simply just send an email? Uh, we, we know the audience, some of the audience won't know, but you have an agent mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I don't want you to talk about money because that's not relevant. Um, but, but yeah, how do, you, how do you initially make contact with these brands, especially if you've not dealt with them before? Uh, well, look, first I'm going to say, I, I am going to talk about money a bit because I think it is important. I'm obviously not going to give specific examples in my case because yes, it's a competitive advantage. You know, fundamentally, there's a few of us often competing against deals. And if I give you my rate card, then slightly screws me in the foot. So, yeah. so uh, but um, this is 100% where my previous job has come in to help. So there's lots of different ways you do it. Nowadays, I can sit here and within a week, I will get three, four, five, sometimes 10 emails from companies from all around the world going, hi, I've got an app. I would love you to do a 60 second shout out in your next video and we will pay you X amount of money. And this is a natural inquiry. This is a natural inquiry. These just come in. They just just come in nonstop because I've got email addresses listed on all my social media platforms. These just come in and you'll see them everywhere now on YouTube and all creators are are doing these adverts. It is now how we fund our channels. I'll come back to that later. Yeah. Um, But I have long said and always challenged myself to work with brands that I already use, I want to use, or I think are relevant to my audience. Those are my three principal rules. Like, you know, no point in me advertising head and shoulders hair care. Like just, there's nothing going on there. So, um, so, well, I mean, there is literally nothing going on on there. (laughs) Those are my three rules. And also because of the background I had doing PR campaigns, coming up with creative, I wanted big juicy work. I, I, I didn't see any point in like, you know, up until now, uh, midway through a video, just going, oh, by the way, if you want to buy this, go buy that. I was like, let's do an actual clever idea here. So 
It's a real mix. Sometimes there are companies that I want to work with, at which point you've got to reach out. You, you can't just sit back and wait for them to call you. You've got to reach out to them. So, Correct. you know, you've got to look up, find the media contact or the PR contact or find them on Instagram or whatever it might be and start an approach. And there's a lot of bad reputation out there for influencers, uh, which is a very vague term, but creators uh, getting out, work with me, give me a free hotel room, get me free dinner. Like, I've got loads of followers. Never the right approach, in my opinion. You know, you've got to build a relationship. You've got to say, look, I want to do this campaign. So Drive the World's a perfect example. I'm going to be driving around the world. I'm going to be using, I'm going to be spending a lot of money in a lot of different countries. Curve. They're an international travel card. Uh, you can have multiple cards on there at any one time. Gets rid of any foreign exchange uh, f- So you, you approach them? Yeah. So we had right. a chat. Look, I'm doing this big trip. There could be an opportunity here. Your product does something which I think is going to benefit me. It's also useful for the audience. Why don't we just have a chat and see where mm. it is? It's never like, hey, uh, sponsor me. You've got to start with the initial conversation and let's discuss where this could go. You have the flip side of it, which is, yes, I have a commercial agent who's also doing that, but you'll get a big company reach out saying, hey, we have a specific campaign. We are wanting to promote this product. We are looking to target this audience. We think you can do that for us. Let's chat. And there'll be a budget in mind. They'll have a very set criteria for what they're trying to do. And, you know, that that is always harder because the money's often very good. Um, and you have to look at it and go, right, is this content actually going to sit well on the channel or is it just going to feel like one big advert? Yeah, because I've, no- I've noticed m- m- mainly you as well is that all the way, if you go right back to when you started, you've always tried to tell a story on your channel. Very different to how everyone else runs their channel. You know, you've always had some sort of narrative and, and you've always tried to capture audience with some editing and and I don't know there's there's just there's just a different way that you package your videos up and and as well when it comes to sponsors if if I'm guessing that if you can't fit them into your story it doesn't work for you right yeah I, I I'm a bad liar fundamentally so that's why I struggle with campaigns that I don't feel like I can get behind or, or or get an interesting story around you know if the product isn't of interest to me if I don't think I can tell an interesting story around it that's a real struggle for me because the content has to be engaging and yeah. you know I always fly the shell flag and and it's because they've been a fantastic partner to me over the last five years because they're always open to ideas you know some of the early content we did with Sebastian Vettel and stuff like that it was like look we've got half an hour of Seb Vettel's time, what can we do? Yeah. And we just bounce ideas around. And it's, of course, they've got messaging they want to get in there. Of course, I'm working with Shell. They've enabled that content. I then owe them some kind of exposure. They can't yeah. literally say, here's Vettel and a Ferrari, go have fun. Like, don't worry about mentioning us. Of course, they're paying me. I have to then give some product messaging, something, you know, that's how it works. And I think sometimes there's a negativity towards creators online or brand deals or ads of like, oh, like such an ad, this is grim. Firstly, that's how we make a living. That's, yep. That is our business. Or secondly, you watch endless TV, or maybe you did, with countless ads in the middle. This is no different. Radio. Radio. And, and thirdly, you know, it's tit for tat. You know, like if a brand is going to pay me and enable me to make cool content... I owe them exposure and I've got a wangle in there. And sometimes it's not going to feel that natural. Sometimes it's going to break up the content, but that you try and do it. And so that's for me is I would far rather, uh, Aston Martin's a really key key example here. I did a piece with Aston Martin a while ago, uh, which was going up to the leather factory, the Bridger Weir, or they're not their leather factory, Bridger Weir who make the leather for their cars. 
inner vantage, then driving down to the people who make their badges in Birmingham and then going back to the factory. Yeah. It was a wicked piece. I loved it. I got to drive the Vantage. I got to go to two factories that I found really interesting, tell a really amazing story. Amazing piece. What did Aston gain out of it? They showcased the handmade nature of their cars, the, the, the skills, the tradespeople who are involved in the various elements of their cars. What's going on? It's not just some robotic factory in the middle of nowhere. So they're getting the exposure. They're getting that story told. I'm getting an amazing piece of content. Yeah. Everyone wins. Yeah. Obviously, that hasn't always worked out. I've definitely made content, which if I look back on, I go, oh, that was, you know, hasn't quite worked. You're talking about paid content. Paid content. Right. You know, so sometimes it doesn't always work. You know, and sometimes you sometimes you just swallow the pill because the paycheck's too good. I'm not, I'm not going to say yeah, that yeah. I don't always just, you know, turn down every single thing if it's not quite right. Sometimes you just have to do it. Um, but yeah, my rule of three stays of, you know, brand I work with, brand I want to work with, or, 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 you know, sorry, product I use, product I want to use, or something that's going to be relevant to the audience. And, and as long as it fits in that criteria, I'll, I'll definitely try and take it yeah. on. Yeah, and, that, and that, that, that comes back to your... Do you think your old PR days and, and do you think you bring stuff from that into the channel, especially when it comes to negotiating and, and you know, you do have a previous knowledge of, of how the world works, essentially? 100% it has aided me because it's allowed me to understand what the brand wants. Exactly. So, you know, like, oh, and also the audience, because that was what, P, that's what I did in my PR job was, was yeah, tell that story. How do we get this, which is, you know, promoting a, a new film that's out or an exhibition or event, and how do we get that to a journalist that the journalist is going to want to write about it, and then that journalist is going to tell a good story that's going to make the members of the public want to go and see that film, go to that yeah. So. I always had to be across those various elements and that's what I've definitely tried to do. And I said I wasn't going to touch on money specifically to me, but the key thing is, which I meant to say earlier, every single case is different here, right? And this has evolved now. You know, you'll get a brand, heck, you know, someone who makes your lovely Ferrari hat over there that maybe it's just a startup. It's just launched. You know, we're just starting up with Ferrari hats. We want to work together. How can we do that? If I turn around and quote them the same budget that I quote, a shell or a Pirelli or whatever, they're going to go, oh my God, like what? I, no, and that's you take that you take that into consideration. Of course, right. you have to go, right, you're a small startup, it's early days, I really like your product, I think the audience will as well. I can't give you free promotion because this is my business. You know, if you wanted to get this kind of exposure through advertising, you're going to have to spend X amount of money. Yeah. And that's what we're offering. I think a lot of, sometimes there's a, not a naivety, or it's changed now. People understand creators or influencers or YouTubers as a business model much more. But, you know, my audience, that awareness, it's advertising yeah. and TV advertising, radio advertising, magazines, billboards cost a certain amount of money. Yeah. Same thing is if you come to my YouTube channel, it costs a certain amount of money. But every single deal has to be bespoke. I don't have a rate card. No. I genuinely don't have a rate card. It is bespoke on who the partner is, what their kind of budgets might be, what they want me to create, uh, what the create the content opportunity is. Do I really want to work with that brand? Yeah, okay, cool. So is it really important how much money to make? No, not really, but as a business, got it. so that's what I mean. I think there's never, never a flat fee for anything and you have to, look at the company, look at the brand and realise how it could fit in with what you're doing and then come to a mutual price. And sometimes it's going to be wrong. Sometimes somebody's going to feel ripped off. Someone's going to think they're going to get a bargain. It, it, you just got to figure it out. And I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of it has to be right for for you, the creator and your business and for the person that's paying you. Uh, and that And that is 
the key. If it, you sit down, you have a conversation. This is the same in, in any business. You sit down, you have a conversation with someone. It works or it doesn't. You, you, you try to be, like you said, you don't quote one fee. It depends on the budget. It depends if you like the brand. It depends on whether you can think of a storyline because like we, we've already touched on, your whole channel is based on telling a story. At least is what I, th- I think anyway, for sure. Um, so briefly coming back onto Drive the World, do you regret it? Oh, I do not regret it at all. Did it achieve what I wanted it to achieve? No. Right. Why do you think it didn't achieve what you wanted it to achieve? I think if I could answer that, it would have achieved what I wanted it to right. achieve. Okay. So, so yeah, my expectation was, let's talk about social media, because we, we were trying to make a documentary. We were trying to write a book. We had various commercial partners, commercial sponsors that we had to create content. But my goal was a daily piece of content, a daily video. So we had a member section of the website that we were going to be doing a video for, you know, and up until that point, anyone you spoke to within the social media creation, that will, your channel will fly. You're going to be hitting all different kinds of audiences because where you upload your content from, YouTube pushes that to your local demographic. So if Wherever I upload a, you are in the world. Yeah, if I upload a video in France, they're going to promote that to a bigger French audience. You're still going to your target audience, but they, so, so I was like, you're going to be hitting all these audiences, you're going to be creating content in their hometown, you're going to fly. Everyone else, it's going to be great. So, uh, firstly, sign myself up to too much work, classic. But secondly, that didn't happen. Um, financially, my ad revenue for the, this was just when YouTube was changing how creators got paid, by the way. It's right. a big switch now, you know, my, I will give you numbers here because, uh, you know, three years ago, if I got a video with a hundred thousand views, uh, that could make me, oh, now I'm trying to forget, but okay, let's say a hundred thousand views would have made me a hundred, no, oh, no, a thousand, let's say a hundred thousand views are a thousand dollars. So 600 quid, something. Yep. Nowadays, I'm lucky if a hundred thousand views makes me $350. Right. So, you know, so what one one video on the channel, you know, a couple hundred quid. And every channel's different on the way they're paid. Every channel's so different. If you if you've got if you've got a thousand followers essentially and you have one hundred thousand views on, on one video, that doesn't mean you're gonna get paid less or more than Sam. It's completely different. Right? And every month, uh, every channel, every country, it's it's all so different. Okay, but fair. but as I say, you know, that, that that swing has changed massively, and that was happening in 2019. So my ad revenue is all over the place. And if you're uploading in Malaysia, the money you can make in Malaysia because of the ad revenue spend in Malaysia is a lot less than in the UK. So financially, it was like, what's going on here? And then secondly, views-wise. Now, what I think I learned as the trip went on was my audience responded to less is more. They wanted to see less content sort of with more of a storyline, longer form. I was there like bashing out 10-minute videos every day. Boom, 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 boom. Where people wanted to see one, two videos a week, 25 minutes long, full like daily vlogs, loads of behind the scenes. So it took me three or four months to figure that out. Um, I abs- How did you figure that out? Uh, someone's asked that question. Do you really study the algorithms? And, and, and you must know, mate, because it's part of your business. You must, you need to understand the mechanics of, unfortunately, a machine. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a machine. So, so that year was a, took a long time. So I think I, I, I'm, uh, I'm sure we've spoken about this on the channel. Yeah, I, had, have, yeah. I, I had a full meltdown in Singapore, uh, which was a month and a half in or something like that. Uh, where I literally, I was in the, in a car, closed the car door on my fingers. It was not 
a bad thing. I cried for two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, full on panic attack because at that point the pressure was so high and I hadn't slept all these different things and it then wasn't going well. You know, I didn't think that the first month and a half, I thought the views were slow. The ad revenue was very bad. Huge amount of sponsor commitments, huge amounts of like all of these things. I was like, okay, this isn't working out. So yeah, three or four months on the line, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of trying to understand, look, looking at all the feedback. Of course, I study a lot, but you know what I study? I study my audience feedback. And this is probably where I'm a bad YouTuber is to grow on YouTube today you have to be hyper analytical and critical. What works? Look at all the channels that are blowing up. What works about what they are doing? And if they're in your sector, what can you copy? It is that brutal. Okay, so right now, my biggest view on my channel is meeting a guy who's got a 30 million pound collection and looking across the sector. Okay, that video's done well. That's about a huge car collection. That's done well because that's a lot of money. Right, big money collections, go. I've always looked at what my audience is saying and what they enjoy. Right. One of your best videos yet, mate. I love this kind of angles. More of this, please. Cool. So that's what I focus on. So what I think I've done or what I hope I've done is build an incredibly loyal and an audience that I really understand. I know what they want. I'm creating the content that I want to create and they enjoy. And we're on this sort of journey together. That has therefore limited my growth because I should have always looked at what is doing well and how do I get my channel to get those kind of views. Drag races. Why am I not doing drag races? Everyone's flying with drag races. Supercars. Okay, so I bought an old 360 that yes, people enjoy, but actually should I have bought a 458 and put a crazy exhaust on it and then sold it six months later? Yeah, I would have got more views. So, But would you have earned more money? Because this is another thing that, that and I hate talking about this bit, but it's a business. Mm-hmm. So for you... Would it actually work, mate? By the time you pay the payments on... And don't forget, it's not about breaking even breaking even a business. It, it's about making money because that's what we're all here to do, by yeah. the way. So you buying all these Larry supercars and giving it the big one and paying all these monthly payments or however you decide to fund them, your channel needs to make them payments plus all the overheads that go with it plus... What, what your profit margin is, whatever that is. And if and if that can't work, what's the point? Well, it, it, I mean, it can. There are so many examples out there of big YouTube channels making a ton of money yeah. within automotive and within other sectors. Fair and I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars per month. Fair. So, you know, it, it is absolutely impossible. Um, because of the way that the YouTube ad revenue pays out, at least on my channel, at least, you know, from what I know, it wouldn't have benefited with what I've done now. But... If I'd been more critical, if I'd chased YouTube growth, sole YouTube growth, I want as many YouTube views and subscribers as possible. Could I have made more money? Could I have made it more viable to have crazy supercars? Potentially. Who yeah. knows? Potentially. What I have tried to focus on is building a, a brand. So, as I say, a, a, a relatable, uh, an understandable, a reliable brand. Creditworthy, which, which yeah, is the most important thing. Which and has enabled me to get the commercial opportunities that I wanted to, to, yeah. to, to work with brands I wanted to work with and to commercialize it that way. So, so now... 70 percent of my earnings are through commercial work. So you so basically, just to sum it up, your quality over quantity, basically. That's what I try and do now. Yeah, one hundred percent. It is exactly yeah. what you try and do yeah, now. Yeah. So you're not you're not chasing the machine. You're, because there is another thing that comes into this as well. And we know it's a problem on YouTube. When you chase the machine, your health becomes key. You you also you, you almost get taken over by the machine and and i'm sure it 
at some points in your YouTube career that that it nearly got old of you or it did get old of you and you probably thought, oh, I've just had enough of this. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I, and I can almost pinpoint it because you know, mental health is a huge thing with online creators. And I know there's a lot of a younger audience of which, you know, we don't get too many younger listeners on here, but maybe people's sons or nephews or daughters or whatever it might be might be thinking about becoming an online creator. I don't know how you manage the mental health aspect of it because the specific point where it got too much for me I can't remember what launch it was. It could have been the McLaren 720S or there was some launch that we went to where it was myself, Shmi 150, JWW, uh, Supercars London, Seb Delaney, uh, Vehicle Virgins. Um, I don't know. There was, there was at least 10 YouTube creators filming the same car on the same roads and all because of what's called a press embargo, which basically means that the whole world signs a contract saying that they will not release their reviews until a certain date. And that's all to do with fairness for the press because you can't have 3,000 members of the press turn up on one day to review a car. Um, so people, sp- it's spread out over two, three weeks. And so to make it fair, they set one date. So we all had the same video come out the same day. And I, in my head, I was like, I don't come to my channel, <laughs> you know, as a viewer watching my own content. I don't come for that kind of content. So I'm chasing or competing with people who do it better and have set themselves up in that way for what? I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm sitting here now going, what's my angle? What am I gonna do? I gotta spit out the words. Just and I was like, this isn't this isn't for me. Like yeah. this isn't now, as I say, if I'm hyper analytical, great way to grow in our sector, supercar performance car sector, exclusive access or early access to new cars. So the brand new XXX, drag races, buying and selling cars. And yeah, probably crazy car collections. Or if you look in America, they're doing like the rebuilds or the highly modified. Those are like the four segments of like supercar performance cars that will really help your channel fly. But yeah, early access, new car reviews. I don't have it in me. I'm not journalistic. I I like time. I like to create a piece, as you say, hopefully tell a story. So give me a couple of hours on a road with loads of other journalists. I'll stress out, not for me. Um, Drag races, I just don't care. Mm. I like, I have no, like, I couldn't, no interest. I couldn't create content on a drag race. I'd yeah. be like, vroom, okay, the Bugatti one. Cool. Like yeah. that's for me, that's yeah. done. Okay. Um, uh, buying and selling cars. I, I can't afford it. Like each to their own, but I have a mortgage. I have a puppy. I have a wife. I have the studio. I have lots of other things that I need to cover money for. Of course. Having another few grand, not only monthly payments, but debt against my name, not for me. So I'm not in that game of constantly buying and selling supercars. And then the highly modified thing, I'd love to get into it. I'm just not brave enough. Maybe that's my next thing. Maybe I need to go and buy a car and just get grease monkey on it for (laughs) sure. But I just haven't been brave enough to launch into that. So that's why I don't operate. So my thing was, right, that's not me. What is me? Hopefully great stories, beautifully shot content, you know, interesting angles, like that people want to come on. They want to watch that video and learn something and hear something and appreciate that content. And I enjoy making it. That was... Yeah, and, and that's that's a perfect segment into, again, another question. And I'm not going to get through all the questions. And, and I was going to just pick the phone up and yeah, yeah, ask yeah, you a lot of questions. Through, yeah. But we, 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 we have covered lots of what people have asked. But one a question that was asked quite a lot was, how do you create your videos from a video point of view, as in as a videographer in terms of how you set your cameras up, how you how you how you start from you have an idea mm-hmm. right how am i gonna film that uh okay so let's use a specific okay so uh, there's definitely a variation this, this has evolved 
let's take the GTA video as an example, Alpha GTA as an example. Your last, your last video is always the best. Yeah, well, you know, so it's a it's good, good thing to, to explain. So I reached out to a friend of mine at Alfa Romeo on the press team saying, hey, mate, I'm going to be near Italy on these dates. I'd love to check out the GTA or the GTA M. He goes, yeah, what content do you want to make? I said, oh, you know, I just basically want to come over, drive the car up in the hills, you know, either go and get a pizza with it or go and get a coffee. I sent him an old video I made years ago, which was driving to Italy to get a pizza. So maybe I could recreate this or getting a coffee in because last year I did a lot of new car reviews, getting a coffee in and it did very well. So he said, yep, great. We can lend you the car. So then I'm like, right, so we've got the go ahead. What's my actual angle here? And I thought, okay, well, getting a coffee in is stronger because driving to Italy to get a pizza, I'm not actually really doing that. I'm driving, picking up things. So I then start to search routes near the place I'm picking up the car, find a decent road, um, look for a coffee shop. Cool, done. So in my head, I know what my title, my thumbnail and the overarching point of that video is. That's what I, that's my first point of call. What is the title? And therefore the thumbnail has got to relate to the title. And what is that main reason for that video? So is it just a test drive? You know, what's it like to drive a PDK GT4? Or is there a stronger story? And sometimes I'll come up with the idea first, i.e., oh, I want to go to the best beach in the UK. I want to go to the best road in the UK. Then I'll find the car. Or sometimes it's the opportunity to drive a car. Hey, mate, we've got an E-Type in. Do you want to have a go in it? Cool, what can I do with an E-Type? So, but it's always that first thing is what's the title? I never go and film a video and then work out the title afterwards. Mm. That's hell. Um, so if it's one that's under my control, so I figured out the video for the GTA, I then think, right, what are my various segments? So I've probably got to do an intro on my way to Alfa Romeo, you know, setting up what I'm going to do today. Because I always like to do something at the beginning which sets the scene. Uh, I use GoPros exclusively in the car. Anytime anyone sees me chatting in a car, it will be filmed with a GoPro. There are a million of them out there. The latest ones allow you to plug in an external microphone, which really helps with audio quality. But heck, if you're on a budget, go and buy an old GoPro. They're amazing. I'd say GoPro Hero 4 onwards. They're brilliant. Um, so yeah, do a piece of the camera. It's like, right, so that's, I've set up the intro of what I'm going to do. Then I probably want to have some kind of shots that set the scene of shots of the car or where I am. Because I've just said, I'm going to Italy to pick up an Alfa Romeo. So the next shots in that sequence have either got to be me driving to Italy or me in Italy. So then I'm going to film a load of scenery. That's with a, I use Panasonic. So the GH5 and the S5. GH5 is a camera I've used for three or four years. Came on Drive the World. Unbelievable. S5 is a new acquisition. It's, I use it more for the kind of static stuff, you know, the stuff that looks like it's in a studio. So yes, then I got to think, you know, so everything always follows each other. There's always like, right, that's got to be followed on by that, got to be followed on. I never want to do like a random hard cut where people are like, well, how's he got from there to there? It's always got to follow each other. So and that's up- you, that, that, that's your personal preference because everyone's oh, different, by the way. Everyone's yeah. different. Like, you know, and we did the trip now, you know, and you got to witness how Paul and how I film videos. Oh, mate, it's night and day. <laughs> no, I, no. I knew this anyway for years. It's night and day. But different preferences. And it yeah, works yeah. on, I think if yeah, Paul yeah. uploaded a video that like one of my videos to his channel, people would be like, what's this? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. So, you know, I will overfilm everything. I'm always trying to film. I'm always trying to capture because I want to have the opportunities to have those moments in between the chat. Yeah. I never like those moments to be too long. I want the chat to be coming thick and fast. So it's like, right, a couple of, you know, 20 seconds of music and some shots and then we're back into the chat. But it's always got to follow in the story. So I'm always thinking, right, what did I say at the end of the last piece to camera? How do I pick that up? Uh, and it's always got to, you know, lead into each other. And so fundamentally, the key element is, right, the sort of the driving segment. 
that's always got to be how do you film that dynamically and that is the hardest part to film yeah because if you're not top gear driving fast it's so hard to film yeah. because you know top gear have 25 million pounds budget and they got a 60 man crew and they got cameras by the side of the road and dre- i got a couple of gopros that i can stick on the side they have a script as well they have the a way. script if i want to get exterior shots i got to leave a camera on a tripod by the side of the road drive past it find someone to turn around come back hope no one's nicked my camera and that i do very regularly i do that a lot but um it, it all depends how much time i've got how inspired by the road i am so that gta video I had a nightmare picking up the alpha. I get the shots of it, head up to this mountain road. The mountain road's amazing. So I'm like, right, I've got this insane road. How am I going to capture it properly? Tell a story. Tell a story. So I keep going up. I go, I'm going to keep going up, up, up. As I get to the top, there's my cafe. I'm like, perfect. So I actually filmed the coffee segment first. Yep. Um, so I'm like, right, now I've got my key moment of the whole thing. I've got my coffee. I've got the shots done. So now all I need is loads of pretty shots of the car going up and down this road and me talking about it in the car, what it's like yep, to drive. Yep. So yeah, it's all methodical. There's always a narrative. There's always a story. There's got to be an intro and an outro. Um, but it, I'd say it all depends on time because on the flip of that, a video that would have gone live on the main channel yesterday for non-patrons, so when this is properly released, was GT3 Touring versus 992 GT3. I met up with some friends at 4 p.m. in Monaco. We were back by 5.30 I had one take going up the hill and a touring, one take coming down the hill in a GT3, and that's it. And you've got to fly by the seat of your pants. It is what it is. You stick GoPros wherever you can, and you just go. Yep, and quite often as well, and I've witnessed this, you won't you won't film, sometimes you'll film the ending first, or sometimes you film the, you know... You, you, film it back to front. You film it back to front, and then you piece it all together. Um, and I know, because I've witnessed that firsthand, and then you did the drive-bys. One very good question... And um, I've got three more questions to. This is dragging okay. on a bit. Yeah, I've got yeah, three yeah. more. <laughs> I've got on, three yeah. more questions to ask you. One question, which I thought was very good. H- how do you have the confidence to speak to camera? <laughs> how, how how have you and how do you piece together what you're going to say? Yeah, that took a long time. Uh, at the beginning, I filmed everything point of view so that I could hide behind the camera. Uh, so that was a big part of it. It takes a long time. And I still, in public, I still get very nervous. There are YouTubers out there who are incredible, literally pick up a camera and can just film and vlog wherever. I, I still don't like that. It still takes me a while to get used to it. Um, I do think through what I want to say before I say it. That makes your life harder because then you're always trying to repeat what you thought before you start recording. So, you know, you would have witnessed this a million times. You know, the endless takes. And some videos I've left them in because I think it's funny. People are like, why have you left this in? But, you know, the amount of times in my head, I'm like, hey, so what I want to say is, hey, guys, I'm going to Italy. I'm going to pick up an Alfa Romeo. And you start and you go, hey, guys, Alfa Romeo in... <laughs> it can be the death of you and Paul and I have told you many stories of it's burning through so GoPro good. batteries it can be a killer yeah. but yeah I always try and think through what I'm going to say before I say it do I get it wrong constantly yes is the confidence still an issue yes um, but somehow you you perfect the craft of delivering one-liners um, and I think this is a big thing that t- traditional TV still knock creators and influencers are once you put them in front of a crew they all jam up the one thing i think we can do a lot of the times better than others is bang deliver a, deliver a line deliver a point because we're so used to having to do it yeah um so that's the one thing which i'd say sometimes you know we, we really have up our arsenal is if you put me in the middle of goodwood festival of speed and i'm in the supercar paddock i can pick up that camera and i know i've got to say guys we're in the supercar paddock there's some insane cars here we're gonna check them all out I'm gonna go up and down i can see a ferrari fx i can see a hurricane evo it's gonna be a mega day let's go 
Yeah. And you can bash that out. And you yeah. know you've got it in your arsenal. Whereas if you pick that camera up and you're like, um, uh, hey, uh, yeah, 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 disaster. Yeah. You've got to keep, so you've you've got got to keep, be able to just, yeah. And keep the audience in as well. Yeah. Now, this is, this is a bit of a weird one. Um, the, do you, what do you see the end the goal for YouTube? Do you, do you think you're going to do this for the rest of your life? Do you, uh, you know, have you got, have you got a point where you're going to, right, that's it, I'm too old now, or, or actually you think it's going to lead on to other things? What, what's, the, what's the end goal for you? I think, I think the goal for any creator has to be to get out. And that sounds really aggressive. And as a listener or an audience member, maybe you feel that's a bit disrespectful. But what I'm trying to say by that is uh, being a creator gives you an amazing platform, right? Puts you in front of incredible people, connects you with amazing brands and lets you work out what you're passionate about and what mm. you can do because you're, yeah, you're, you're self-employed, you're a business, you've got to constantly create and fight. Yeah, so it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing to do. But no one, I don't think, wants to be a vlogger when they're 80 years old. No. The, or Tim ta- might. Tim might. <laughs> we've talked upon how insanely draining it is on energy, mental health, creativity. There's only so many times you can pick up that camera and feel super inspired. It is a very draining business, but you hopefully reinvent yourselves a few times and find different avenues. Again, as an audience member, how many years can you watch the same channel? Yeah. So the hardest thing to do as a creator is like, how do you then get out? You've built this incredible business. You've got this amazing audience, this great platform, this great stepping stone. How do you utilize that? How do you use that? Where do you go with that? Yeah. And do you, do you sell it? What's it worth? Or is it worth anything without you? I don't think you can sell it. And, and, well, you, yeah. you are it, mate. Yeah. You're, you're, you're the channel. There are plenty of business channels. Car Throttle. Um, uh, uh, Drive Tribe. Okay, they were a business already. Hey, heck, even with Paul, Supercars of London, that's a brand. Yeah. You know, Seen Through Glass is me. I yeah. am Seen Through Glass. There's yeah. nothing without that. Yeah. Without me. So I don't think I can sell that, but... It is about how to utilize it. What can I do? What can I offer? What have I learned? What? And I'm definitely still figuring that out, yeah. but I'm also still loving it. I know I get tired. I know it's different. And I know, okay, my channel isn't going through the upswing that maybe it did three or four years ago, but I feel more confident and happy in my channel than I ever did. And heck, this podcast. I adore this podcast. I love it. For me, the next five years are more focused towards this podcast than the main channel. But that allows me breathing time on the main channel to do i've got so many incredible things lined up for next year on that main channel yeah but i no longer feel the necessity to be bashing out four videos a week and yeah. chasing the main channel algorithm yeah. i can relax make the content i really want to make hopefully better than ever but then also be doing this podcast which gives me another second breath. so yes eventually i'll need to find a way out yeah or i want to find a way out yeah but i'm in no rush and how or what or when that is who knows? And, you know, the coffee's been fantastic and we've spoken about lots of different ideas that we've yeah, had. And for sure. So who knows? Who knows what the future will hold? And, and, and last but not least, and probably a good, good place to end, is what frustrates you most about YouTube? <laughs> um, there's, two, there's two sides of it. It's all-consuming. Yeah. You, you do not have a a life, you know, and heck, I am pretty guarded or pretty strict with where personal life and work life crosses over. You know, I fight really hard to ensure that I finish my day and I spend time with Vicky and spend time with Twiggy and I have holidays. 
that's not really how YouTube works. If you take time off, you are F-U-C, you know, yeah. you're in trouble. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, all consuming. I, I wish it had the ability to have a holiday mode or whatever. Um, and then secondly, I would say still to this day, the connotations or the assumptions by the mass public, not your audience. As I say, I've built this incredible audience that I love. They're here on the podcast. They're on the main channel. Yeah. They are insane, but still, to, okay. So when did I see it? A comment cropped in the other day, which was like, not sure you've been putting enough effort into your videos recently. I don't feel like they've been living up to the same standard. You need to apply yourself more. You need to work harder. That's why you've fallen off the algorithm. Yeah. I have to, as a creator, listen to that. Yeah. I can't ignore negative comments. Yeah. So I have to read that and go, okay, well, well, you know, why do they think that? But <laughs> it kills me because I know that that's not the truth. So yeah. as I say, I have to assess why that's coming across that way to that individual. But that's one person. If that video has got 70,000 views, that's one person out of 70,000. Yeah. But that particular opinion gets in my head. Yeah. So but, all I'm thinking about is that one opinion. Yeah. But if you're anything like me, mate, you'll take a negative as a positive because that's what a positive person does in general. And you are a positive person. And listen, like you said, you, 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 you're in life, you're never going to please everyone. You're always going to upset someone. In general, I the audience think you're doing a fantastic job. I I hope that you can continue to do it. Obviously, the podcast is... I love it as well. So I hope we got you here for many years to come. Maybe you need to grow some hair. <laughs> have, a, have an implant or something. Change it up. Whole new scene. Can you imagine? Oh, I, I, can, hello, I got an afro. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. As I say, like I, I'm definitely enjoying being a creator more than ever. I feel more inspired than I have done for a long time. I see lots of opportunity. I, of course, would love to be getting 500,000 views a video. I would love to have a million subscribers. That, That's that gone. Is, it's know, gone. But, yeah. but it's tough as well. Like, yeah. you know, like, like, yes, it's gone. It's the same as when you say, heck, I'd love to have six showrooms around the UK and a monopoly on blah, 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 and be yeah, making, yeah. you know, you always have that, but it's not what I obsess over. It's not what I sit there. For me, my sole focus and goal is to make it, it, you know, the best content I can make for the audience that I love and enjoy and build on them and, you know, and, and cater to them. Um, my phone is going absolutely nuts. So let me just make sure no one's like, you know, fallen off a, I don't think we're all right. Uh, <laughs> just want to make sure no one's fallen down a well. Um, so yeah, so, so I'm going nowhere and this podcast, I hope, is going to go from strength to strength. Yeah. Um, well, I think that brings an end to, to, to our chat. Um, but listen, I really appreciate you answering the questions as sincere. You didn't dodge anything. I, I don't ho think so. I, I hope <laughs> there wasn't anything in there that, that offended you or anything that you thought, oh, I don't really want to answer that because this wasn't what this was about. Um, and, and, and keep doing what you do, mate. Oh, mate, well, thank you very much. I, I'm glad we did it. You know, as I say, it, it felt a bit self-indulgent and I do get a bit squirmy when it's a little bit too, <laughs> too much focus on me. That's why I like to throw everything your way. But uh, <laughs> hopefully people have found it interesting. It's literally been our longest episode ever. So people may have switched off. I think maybe, we, you know, people weren't interested. Maybe they were. I don't know. But anyway, I'm, gl I'm glad we did it. Me too. Um, next week, uh, the usual podcast format will return. We've got Andrew from Alexander's Prestige coming down to try and convince me to buy one of his SUVs. So <laughs> great. Um, 
And uh, if you want to follow either of us in the meantime, Tony is at Tony Gravelwood Car Sales on most social media platforms. I'm at Seen Through Glass on most social media platforms. A few more videos to come from our road trip uh, a few weeks ago. Some very exciting ones, actually. So yeah, stay tuned for that. We'll be back with you on the podcast very soon. Bye-bye. See y'all. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.